We are the existentialists. Four existential psychotherapists invite you to join us in a dialogue about what it means to live an existentially tuned life. Your hosts are Xavier Williams, therapist in Vancouver, Canada. Janelle Dresner, therapist in Edmonton, Canada. Chelsea Stenner, therapist in South Surrey, Canada. And Mihaela Lounano, therapist in Vancouver, Canada. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of season 2 of the Existentialist Podcast. And uh, today we're going to be encountering my body. That's um, that's your body as the listeners and our bodies, not just my own personal body, which would be something entirely different. Um, but yeah, the, the the body is a an oft forgotten part of our psyche. I would suggest, um, particularly in the in the realm of um, of twentieth century um, psychology, of where we were a lot more cognitive and and even in the Freudian sense, right? We just we're really thinking a lot and thinking and thinking and thinking. Um, but really, uh, our body. Uh, carries us, it informs us, it gives us signals uh, about what we're feeling and what's going on, it senses things, and as such, you know, is is a critical, critical part of um, who we are and what we do and how we respond to the world. So we thought we might uh, uh, use it as a template today to to really encounter, to, to kind of maybe build a bit on, on uh, our previous episode of Encountering Myself. Um, and so, yeah, today we're going to be encountering my, our bodies. Yeah, thank you, Sav. That, um, um, I like that you started by mentioning that uh, the body has been forgotten uh, or dismissed a bit in the 20th century and even 21st century kind of psychology, like mainstream psychology. It's coming back, though, right? Is the, everyone talks about embodiment these days a lot. And what you just said that through through the we get to know the world and everything and ourselves through the body, it's not possible without to know anything, to do anything, to think without our bodies, right? It's a um, primary access to everything. And I think that's the broadest definition of embodiment that I brought in the that word, right? Like it's uh, knowing the world, interacting with the world through through the body. Yeah, forgotten, but also I think that there is as well like a hyperfixation on more of the objectivity of the body and not necessarily in a relational sense of being in my body or with my body. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's been forgotten in terms of our psyche, but there's also a huge, huge fixation on... Um, maybe the aesthetics of the body, what it, what it does, how it looks, um, versus really being kind of in relationship with it and being attuned to the wisdom that the body carries as well. Yeah, the difference between the body object and uh, that is well, scrutinized, measured, assessed, evaluated from, from the distance versus the lived body. I think that's a big distinction. Mm-hmm. That um, in, in German language there is actually there are different words for it, but in English we, we don't have that luxury, so we go with the body object and the live body. But this, I think, this is what you are getting at, and I really appreciate you <laughs> saying that because yeah, it's forgotten in the in the sense uh, of like the the live body is forgotten, the lived experience of the body. But yeah, in, I agree with you that we fixated a lot on yeah, assessing objectively and objectifying the body. So so I hope in this episode it focus uh, we we do some we do justice and kind of counterbalance this tendency by talking I think mostly about the lived body and encountering the body strikes me as a lived experience, my experience with my body. That's good to know about the German, too. I just find that English often um, is a bit simplistic 
in comparison sometimes with other languages where there's more nuance in how things are described. So that's, I didn't know that, but that's helpful and interesting to know that that is distinguished between in German. Can you share the words for, for the, the listeners that might be curious? Sure, I think the, the op- body object is called Körper and um, the leaf body is called Leib. And I hope I'm correct about this. I know that are some um, people who speak German may understand that, but uh, yeah, I think that's the body object is Körper and um, the leaf body, or kind of the subjective experience of the body is called Leib. Interesting. It's, I imagine. I hope I'm not making this up, but it sounds like the, the first one, Kerpa, is almost like corporeal, mm-hmm. right? As oh in yeah. corn, right? Yeah. yeah I, by the way, does French have a similar? I know that you speak oh, French. Um, le corps. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Possibly in in very kind of, um, you know, uh, intelligent French, but um, no, yes. not nothing that comes to mind. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. In, in Romanian, it's also corp. Mm. Again, corp, corp. Yeah. So uh, uh, something I, that I th- I'm, I know that I struggled with every now uh, every now and then was th- to understand what people were meaning by you know embody and embodiment, and um, and to, f- to be fair, a lot of the time I think a lot of people don't actually know what they <laughs> what they're really meaning when they say it, um, but. What I've come to for me, and I think this, I'm, I'm saying this more in particular to, to try and be helpful to listeners, is for me when I hear embody, I hear kind of how it feels and how I sense it in in me, right? So um, uh, when I live something, when I experience something, what happens in my body? Where do I feel it? How do I feel it? Um, what does it make me think of? What does it remind me of? What does it cause me to do? Um, right, because we're not, um, as you were saying, Mahila earlier. You know, we need our body. We can only exist through our bodies. But we're not, um, you know, the like the philosophical experiments of um, uh, the thought experiments of you know, we're not a brain in a vat. We we, we are carried through life um, in a body, and and so um, I like to to think of it much more of of how you know how I experience it, what it feels like. To, to feel my body when I'm having different types of emotions, different thoughts, different experiences. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's uh, what embodiment uh, recognizes, that is our experience is uh, fundamentally related to our body and we experience everything, ourselves and the world, through our body. And again, it, this was something that, uh, I mean, Merleau-Ponty, like talking about... Uh, um, existentialism phenomenology like he he wrote he was one of the first philosophers to of the 20th century uh, who wrote that in his uh, phenomenology of perception uh, that uh, so embodiment is not uh, in philosophy right in existential philosophy is not as new as this trendy embodiment speech that we or discourse but it has been recognized quite clearly that Everything that we, who we are, how, what we perceive, what we experience, what we know, is not only mediated through the body or by the body, but it's embodied in the body. It's not just uh, the body is not just a mediator, but the site of our knowing. Um, y- are you saying that you know everything occurs within us? So when we are depressed, we are depressed within our body. Mm-hmm. When we are anxious, we are anxious within our body. When we're ecstatic, we're ecstatic, but we're ecstatic within our body. Um, we're not ecstatic outside of our body or or i'm i'm and i'm thinking of out of body experiences maybe we're getting it maybe overly complicated but i think what you're saying is it's it's in the body's physiology mm-hmm. and and composition and posture and movement versus kind of just like an experience of say anxiety in one's head that you'll notice physical sensations that come along with it and it anxiety can also affect different parts of our physiological systems, like our digestion and our ability to breathe fully. Yeah, and at the same time, it's like sometimes we can <laughs> leave our bodies, so to speak. Like uh, we can um, dissociate, right? We can uh, become numb, or we simply, by lack of um, you know familiarity or lack of training. I mean, nobody really 
maybe in our growing up it was discouraged to pay attention to our bodies so some people I think they are quite disconnected and they will truly believe that everything is in their head so they will be perhaps a bit confused by this idea that everything takes place in and through the body because some people I think they are very much in their thoughts and if you ask them for example in therapy in a session what sensations are you aware of some people say what are you talking about like I don't know so it's also a legitimate experience that um, we can lose touch with our bodies and we can disconnect and so would we say in those instances that it's an actual disconnection or a perceived disconnection because if we were if what we were saying in the beginning is we can only experience it through our body, it means that it must be being experienced somewhere, mm-hmm. but we're ignoring it. We've lost lost the connection, although the connection will still exist somehow. There'll be a block. There'll be uh, something like that. Yeah, I agree. I think we we are not uh, attuned to the connection. Uh, again, as long as we live on this planet, at least, right? I don't think it's possible to lose the connection completely. I mean, it's our heart is beating, our brain waves are <laughs> going. So it's uh, even if I'm not aware of my body, or I prefer not to. Uh, some people also prefer not to. Sometimes it could be very inconvenient, especially if the body is in pain, or unpleasant experiences to place in the body or involving the body. So it's a relief not to. Uh, to think that we are not connected with the body. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I think I agree with you. It's a matter of perception and attunement, not that we are not embodied. Yeah, where we can lose that ability to attune or to pay attention to those sensations so that our cognition, our emotions, and our physicality, our bodies are knitted together in one versus kind of um, occurring on separate planes, so to speak. So should we should we speak then about um, maybe how first how does this connection feel like feel like um, how do we experience being embodied and then in contrast with that how is the disconnect experience and why does it happen given that what Sav said is so kind of ontological primordial that we are mind and body mind body. That there is that unity, like how is it possible that um, sometimes we don't perceive it? But maybe we can start with what, how do we experience being embodied, mind and body together? And what are some situations in which we experience this? Because you also we don't pay attention every single moment of our day to this topic. No, indeed. <laughs> I think it would be, we would be then fixated maybe on our bodies if we did that all the time. Um, but uh, I think the the simplest way is, um, and the simplest way that, that that anybody can do is is through you know just perceiving through breathing, just in in terms of your, um, uh, in terms of your state of mind, your kind of you know how calm or how activated or agitated you might be, and you know a lot of people now have these um, the watches with the heart rate, and I don't know, just for fun sometimes you can. You can sit and watch your heart rate go up and down, and and then notice what your body's feeling like. Right? How does that heart rate slow? What does it feel like? Is it louder when it's slower? What or, or how quickly can it go fast? I I had a a client who um, had um, uh, uh, a difficult childhood um, uh, you know, related to her mother, and every time. She um, started talking about her mother. Her heart rate monitor would start beeping because her heart rate would elevate so quickly. Like it would go from resting at 75 to shoot up to 120 every time we, we started talking about her mother. It was remarkable. We didn't even know that. It just started beeping and and so we tested it. Yeah, so I guess that's why uh, neurofeedback is also very helpful in that sense, right? Like about, uh, of course, the heart rate, but also our brain waves other kind of physiological uh, functions, right, mm-hmm. that we can relatively easily measure, right? They can uh, point towards that intimate connection between our emotional life and, and the body, our psyche and body. But I was thinking even in terms of our subjective experience without those um, tools that offer us, like, <laughs> quantified, you know, um, expressions of, of that relationship, like when we feel good in our body or embodied 
for me at least there is a sense of feeling grounded but also of warmth and kind of life surging through my body a more intensity of presence more vitality but i think warmth and grounded are mainly the um, kind of the sensations when i feel that i'm fully here in my body and, and, and what does that feel like what is it in your body what happens in your body when you feel grounded like what is that sensation i feel i feel together and stable like rooted and also the again the the word warm and the sensation of warmth come come up and it's like the warmth is kind of also running through through my body so yeah alive and rooted and and together that sense of togetherness centeredness i think sometimes too it can be a lot to draw somebody's attention to their body right away just because it is so forgotten and it's also one of the things that tends to go offline uh, quite quickly with trauma and particularly um, developmental trauma or severe cases of it and so it can be very overwhelming to step into the body again and at least in my experience I find that kind of starting with breath is a good place but sometimes it can be too much mm -hmm. I find just because a lot of overwhelm uh, or anxiety tends to be held in the chest and so to bring somebody's attention to their breath um, there's often a lot of tightness there or holding or collapse that's happening already which could be too much to step into um, something that I like to do is um, is to help somebody kind of draw awareness or start to bring little forgotten and more benign parts of the body online and into awareness so things like okay like can you feel your toes right now what would it feel like for you to be in your toes and how about your ankles and what are your shoulder blades like right now and what do your ears feel like and maybe your elbows um, so areas of the body that maybe typically house a little bit less overwhelm can also be a bit easier for somebody to start to connect with like oh yeah I've never thought about consciously you know assessing or thinking about or feeling what my ears feel like um, so that can also be just a very safe way to start to go into it at the same time also this is could be very difficult for some people because some people say what my ears are supposed to feel in a certain way because again, depending on the level of disconnect or unsafety, so in that sense, what I'm doing is also I I encourage to clients people to touch their ears or their hand or even to pinch gently to pinch themselves. Right? Sometimes I notice that it's not enough to just notice because it may not be enough sensation to be picked up. Yeah, there's not enough stimulus. Yes, so they need to kind of caress themselves gently or gently pinch themselves or move the toes to notice some sensation. But yeah, that's an excellent point, Chelsea, that yeah, breathing. I remember my very, very first uh, kind of breathing, it was supposed to be hypnosis exercise back in Romania. In, I don't even remember, 1995, long time ago. And I, I had, um, wow, I was so anxious throughout. And I, 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 couldn't, uh, I couldn't understand how is this presented as a deep relaxation exercise because every time I focused on the breath, I had a massive anxiety wave coming up. So totally, yes, sometimes it's very unsafe for some people to go directly to the breathing. Or also like when someone is very angry and we tell them, take a deep breath, calm down, <laughs> that may not go very well because some release needs to happen before the nervous system is ready to calm down. <coughs> I'm I'm reminded of something that I do, and uh, kind of maybe on the opposite side of the spectrum, in the less um, kind of numbed and 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 insecure kind of sense. But <coughs> um, uh, this is a little insightful for for people into how my mind works. Um, I have this. Uh, I wouldn't call myself claustrophobic, but I do have this um, this um, quite distinct fear about being trapped in a cave underground. Um, I used to go caving when I was younger. <laughs> when I was younger with friends, not like seriously, but every now and then, and we'd and it was really fun. And um, but some of the places you go in are pretty small, 
and one of my worst fears is to be jammed down there. And so every now and then I can feel my right chest doing it right now. Every now and then I'll go on YouTube and I'll go and watch uh, clips of people in the tightest, tightest, tightest spaces. And I'll in purposely, in order to feel that constriction that occurs, and 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 it's I, I, you know go and Google go and Google it on YouTube and see what happens when you watch these people because they go through I don't know how they get through these these holes but my I can feel my whole chest just kind of starting to seize and kind of really go tight and tight and tight and quiet and quiet and quiet I don't know why I do it to myself but I don't know if you want something more life you can go I mean not right now uh, um, go up to the Vatican. Cathedral to the oh my god it's so tight to to climb all the way on top on top of it <laughs> there are some sections but I had exactly the same experience I'm like oh my goodness if someone has a heart condition or they have a panic attack there is absolutely no way I don't know what would happen because you're kind of stuck <laughs> in the middle so yes so there are uh, places like that yeah anyways uh, should we talk perhaps about what, uh, how can people disconnect from their body and there are people who have such reaction of anxiety with breathing or even not noticing their bodies. What are some ways in which we lose that perception <laughs> of the connection with our body? I think you mentioned developmental trauma, Chelsea. Yeah, well, I mean, just like our like psychological templates for ourselves and being in the world and our relational templates, our bodies also kind of have these procedural templates that are learned in, in early childhood. And so things like a, a parent that isn't attuned um, or that is perhaps neglectful or abusive, the body is going to take that on in different ways. Um, really depending upon the environment, there's um, coping strategies and uh, adaptations that are learned and, and become unconscious and procedural. So things like it's very common, for example, to hold one's breath, um, to not breathe very much or to make oneself small by doing that. Um, say you have a, a parent that, you know, had a very big, angry presence, perhaps. Um, there's perhaps a, a freeze response that can develop in the presence of that, in terms of making oneself little, making oneself small, not taking up too much space. Um, and so these things, especially things that are scary, um, are also really easily disconnected from it as a way of survival. It's, it's an amazing capacity that, that we have to actually be able to disconnect from some things that are scary or terrifying um, or really painful and so it's a way of being able to do that um, I guess where it becomes problematic is when those those learned tendencies become rigid um, or stick around and are, are not so flexibly used anymore yeah, thank you, Chelsea. And this is uh, going back to existential analysis and existential analysis framework this perhaps pertain more to safety and kind of what you talk about FM1, like being able to be, like um, when people feel threatened in their being, right? And then they, the body in its wisdom, like really um, uh, reacts using these coping strategies. But I've also um, noticed with some clients there is a different kind of um, disconnect from the body that comes through more like um, devaluing the body functions or body. Right, and uh, usually it comes through education that is either very strict or maybe um, excessively conservative, religious. Like, you know, the the body is bad, or the body functions. Some body functions, in particular, are bad, and there is this um, developed kind of disgust almost towards the body. And instead of valuing our vitality and sensuality, for example, they become, um, you know. They are perceived as bad things or sinful things if we want to go more into the religious realm. So you, you're talking about kind of denials of impulse kind of thing? Denial of impulse, denial of pleasure, um, not allowing life to be experienced at the body level. 
right? Through and it could be through food, through sexuality, sensuality, um, and you know, any kind of pleasures, right? Like life doesn't is not allowed to to be experienced that way because there is a very heavy judgment, prejudgment laid upon that. So I think there is a, a rapture in the relationship. The lived relationship with the body. What you're saying is so accurate. I've I've worked with so many individuals who have left fundamentalist religion, and myself included, where they describe this experience of um, their senses actually coming alive. Uh, just last week, I had someone share with me um, that he's like he's like since leaving religion and kind of encountering the world through my own body, through my own skin, rather than doctrine that's given to me. He said, food tastes better. Like I can taste more. He said, I can smell more. Like my senses have become heightened and I, I can actually experience pleasure in a way that, that I wasn't aware of. It wasn't available to me before. Yeah, and and um, that uh, that pertains again to the relationship with the body. Not so much about safety, or not being able to be, but like the um, tasting, experiencing the value of the body. How good is to experience life and different experiences through the body, and the value of our own body. And then a, a client talking about clients. There are yet other um, other clients who seem to be relatively safe in the in terms of like you know <laughs> dying or staying alive when it comes to the body like it's not a life or death situation or um not so much disgust about the body but they they feel very troubled in terms of um, recognizing their bodies themselves like it's um, such a disconnect between who they want to be usually <laughs> that comes from what other people told them that it's it's good to be right like some social ideas and so on and so the discrepancy between that and uh, their own body how they perceive their own body so mm -hmm. almost to the degree of not recognizing themselves mm -hmm. like or self-loathing like hating their body yeah yeah hate and punishment mm -hmm. of the body restricting the body or su and suppressing as well. I feel like we're, we're treading into the, the realm of, of eating disorders in this mm -hmm. kind of thing, right? The the restriction, right? Kind of more of the anorexic type or all the kind of the, the, the punishment and then the, you know, the kind of the um, uh, binge purge kind of more bulimic um, personas. Yeah, that, that uh, I mean, that also is in FM2, right? With... Um, um, what we value, what we want to uh, take from from the world through food, the, um, the relationship with food, but definitely also the self-image, body image, right? That and and also always um, discrepancy between <laughs> how my body looks like and who I want to be. Like also clients with gender dysphoria and um, uh, gender issues of like of either wanting to to. Um, change their um, biological sex or to align with their gender or like any kind of dysphoric experiences in that area they uh, they also go through periods of um, yeah completely rejecting mm -hmm. um, their body and then through a process long process and difficult process of rebuilding that uh, body self unity so, so th this has sparked a a, a, a memory of a uh, something I might have spoken about before, but um, something I certainly some of my clients know um, that we've talked about is th this idea that we only ever get to see our bodies, ours like mine. I only we only ever get to see versions of them. We only get to see them in mirrors, photographs on on YouTube or whatever. I never get to see what my body actually looks like. I can see my kind of my hands and stuff, but my full body with my face and. <clears throat> and and that kind of, in some ways, kind of, to, at least in my mind, goes to the um, the inner experience, right? I know that. That I know because I feel it, I sense it, hopefully. But how I actually look, how I actually move, how I actually, that I never really get to experience. I can only see it through another medium. Yeah, that, that is profound. I think that... Uh, 
It's like we can only see ourselves, our body, um, in a reflected way. When we are reflected back to ourselves by a mirror, usually our <laughs> window in the shop, you know, when people check themselves <laughs> <laughs> and all of that. Yeah, but it is a, a largely reflected experience. And that's why it's so important to definitely to um, counterbalance that with the lived experience, the inner experience. Knowing the body from kind of within, mm. so so this is kind of seems like where we where as as existential analysts we would do the existential turn right. We're doing my inner experience, but also my uh, the outer experience. What others reflect in to me, mm-hmm. what I see reflected, you know how people perceive me, how they judge me, mm-hmm. and then trying to locate myself mm-hmm. somewhere in between, trying to locate how my body actually is, maybe. Yeah, you're talking about like that dialogue. If some people reflect to me certain things and there is a discrepancy between those and how I experience myself, how do I integrate? And that requires, a, obviously, a, a relatively strong, intact sense of self, right, to do, to be able to do that dialogue. But if someone already decided that they hate themselves or they hate their body, I don't think there is much capacity for that dialogue. And usually the external you know, objectified look uh, wins. I mean, at least in my experience, it's rarely, maybe, in the case of some narcissistic traits, uh, it's really that people say, yeah, <laughs> the others are wrong, I, I look great. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I, would s- the, I think one of s- the important things in, is in learning to be in one's body and connect with one's body is to also take that self-experience seriously. Mm-hmm. Like how many times, for example, you'll hear maybe you've experienced this yourself where you're like, oh, like I feel, I feel good today in my body or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel good about myself. And then you see a photo or maybe you're on video and you go, ooh, actually, no. And then that, that image or that reflection overrides the experience of like, well, actually, if I come back to it, like I felt good. Like how come? How come that experience of myself gets overridden by a reflection? That's such an excellent point, Chelsea. I think it's very profound that, yeah, we are uh, overridden. Our inner experience is overridden by um, objectified reflections of of an image. And that explains, uh, partially at least, like the, um, the epidemics of body image issues and why especially young people are so prone to all kinds of um, issues in that in that respect. I think maybe it has to do with what you said, Sav, that uh, I never have access fully <laughs> to, to myself. I never see myself. And when I see myself, there is, because there is there are some blind spots, right? I cannot see, for example, even my back. Even in the mirror, I cannot see my back, right? Unless there are two mirrors, you know, against each other anyway. So there are setups <laughs> that you can do but we see the opposite mirror image that's right. of yeah. yourself mm-hmm. too. So when you see yourself how other people see you, it's like, oh, hang on. Like my nose is slightly off in the direction that I didn't think it goes, for example. Or, you know, you just, it can kind of take you aback if you flip that image to see it how other people do. Mm-hmm. We're used to seeing the, the mirror image of ourselves. And, and so, so this kind of um, uh, maybe points to the importance of cultivating that in children uh, and everybody, but you know, especially children, to to how they feel. You know, I know um, one of the things that <coughs> that um, probably uh, uh, my parents' uh, generation—I won't throw my own parents under the bus—who <laughs> um, you know, who would be well, you got to finish your plate. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, they all came from the war and uh, your or after the war, and so you didn't waste any food. You know, I grew up in South Africa, and the idea of wasting food is, you know, and so so you finish your plate, no matter how full you feel. So you start to deny your own experience, and so I know one of the big things that that um, my wife, in particular, kind of um, tries to um, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for teach encouraging my son is to check how full he is mm-hmm. right have you had enough to eat do you feel full or not enough he always seems to have room for ice cream 
But <laughs> the point is, is that he, he often does, and that means sometimes he leaves stuff on his plate. But if we forced him to eat it, then we would be denying him his inexperience, really. Totally. Like it's like um, it's a different way of knowing is the what's called interoceptive awareness, like awareness of the <laughs> interior, right? That, uh, rather than uh, by reflection in the mirror or pictures or others, right? Like coming back to ourselves and trusting that our body knows when we are full, when we are uncomfortable, when we are scared, when we lack something, when we have enough. So is that interoceptive awareness rather than the <laughs> objectified reflective mm. information that we get through the mirrors but it's still intriguing that uh, an image is more powerful than that interoceptive experience i think you really you really kind of alluded to one probably cause of that is like how we teach our children or not I'm thinking about how children eat in when school, kindergarten, anyways. I, my daughter is too, uh, is an adult now, I mean, as of next Wednesday. So I, I don't have many more, memo too many fresh memories about uh, how things are going in kindergarten and school. But I remember when I was uh, more involved in her school life, when she was in kindergarten, elementary school. And gee, the way they eat at school, like they have, okay, you have... Uh, what about 30 minutes? Everyone at the table eat, eat everything. You don't have another chance. You have a snack. So it was very regulated externally. So no, I don't. I bet nobody asked them, are you full? Take a moment, close your eyes, check with your tummy. Do you need more food? So it's very regimented. And probably same at, at home, right? Like if people need to go to get to work in the morning, breakfast gets skipped. Or parents are anxious and say, okay, just eat everything on your plate or have some more. I mean, I can, I, I can imagine that. I can't, um, I, but I can't, I, I don't recall, I don't think I would ever be able to just skip breakfast voluntarily. Maybe now, yeah, I'm getting older, but younger, the, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have been able to make me skip breakfast. <laughs> I would have just been hungry. <laughs> I, I don't know if that, I don't know if that just speaks to me and my metabolism, but, um, yeah, but even even that, the fact that you knew that about yourself came through an in internal experience. It's not because your mom or dad told you, "Hey, you have to eat breakfast every day." You felt it, and even if they would have offered you the option, "Oh, today you can skip breakfast," you'd have been, "No, I'm hungry." So that's connecting with yourself. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like how we grow up, how we raise kids, and how they grow up. There is no time sometimes for cultivating that interoceptive awareness, like to check with their bodies. And same with the, when they are sick, when they are playing or they are involved in sports. Like everything is very externally regulated. And then of course on top, on top of this is the social media and the, that doesn't have to do necessarily with food, but like with the body image and the obsession. As you said, Chelsea, at the beginning, the fixation on, um, on an image. Yeah, we're marketed and advertised mm -hmm. to constantly um, based upon images of what what we should look mm -hmm. like and how those images make us feel. And yeah, and I think it has brought about a huge, like you said, epidemic of body image and what it means to be connected to our bodies rather than trying to, to use them to, to serve some kind of purpose. Another thing that uh, this is a thought I had I've had for a while um, is uh, I th I think clothes have a function to uh, here in that um, clothes often mask or indeed accentuate our bodies in ways that that when we're naked are not compatible, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we don't even have to go to push up bras and 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 skinny jeans for that. Just everyday regular clothes can often give us a distorted view of what somebody's body is, or what it, what 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 you know how it looks, how it for, how it um, flows, how it how it moves. Um, and I'm not necessarily advo um, uh, advocating for more nudist colonies, but <laughs> but I think there is a, a certain degree of 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 uh, of realism that is 
that that is missed um, when we don't see uh, uh, bodies, you know, semi-naked, naked, to see what they actually look like. That's why, like, Red Beach is such an essential place in Vancouver. That's why I moved closer <laughs> to it. <laughs> Just kidding. For Share with our yeah. audience what Red Beach is. Yeah, for, for, oh, for, yeah. no, for non-Vancouverites, um, uh, Red Beach is the topless, nudist beach mm-hmm. in Vancouver um, uh, with a, a, a very dedicated community and, and, and um, unwritten but strict guidelines in, in how, how to behave and and what have you. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting place. It happens to be quite a nice beach as well. Oh, it's very nice, very wild, very pristine. But yeah, talking about guidelines, I remember when I first went there, I was definitely way more preoccupied with the nature and wilderness than with the bodies on the beach. <laughs> but anyways, needless to say, I started taking pictures of the nature. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I was reprimanded like never in my life. <laughs> and I, I felt so innocent. Yeah, my my brother-in-law actually got got married on on Rake Beach, and um, uh, he is a frequent visitor. And um, and they got s- him and his wife got special permission to be able to take photos. But then they were speci- you know very restricted in you can you know in this direction in this thing and only for this. Um, but I I suggest that the guidelines should be displayed in visible locations because I had no idea. So I was just <laughs> taking lots of pictures of the beach and I almost got, honestly, almost beaten up. Like it was really a mm. severe reaction. No, but Mahila, then it would be uncool. It, it, you you got to be kind of in the know to, to know what the rules are. And if you don't, yeah, you find out. <laughs> oh, believe me, I never pull my phone, ever. <laughs> or a camera on that beach. But yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I like what you said about the clothing. And I think it goes both ways. So definitely they can mask and distort. Like, And especially if we add photoshopping to that, if for the <laughs> that is complete distortion. But also clothing can, uh, also if they are aligned with uh, who we are and express uh, ourselves, that can also, and if we kind of know what's, um, what um, we'd like to express from our bodies, we can use clothing in a in a good way, I guess. But I think your point is that yes, um, clothing contributes to the distortions of the image and the discrepancy between an image and who we really are in our bodies. So what uh, what can we do to come back home to our embodied self, to ourselves as um, our bodies? I was joking before the episode that there is such a term called body self. That that kind of really it's a, it's one noun in itself with a dash, right? And some people say that there is no dash. Anyways, the body self, like that unity between our body and ourselves. Like how can we um, restore that or come back to it? I think the <coughs> the the first step, kind of what I think we've alluded to earlier in the episode, is to pay attention. And to pay attention to you, to to what happens, um, I know, um, I know one of the things that that I really enjoy is um, when I go for, say, a very long bike ride or a really intense form of exercise or whatever. My body feels clean afterwards, and I don't mean in this kind of it not disgusting, but it just feels light and and clean is the only word internally. There's a particular sensation that comes with that, and I notice it, and I look for it even, mm-hmm. right? Because I know sometimes I'll go for the right, and I won't feel it. Mm-hmm. It means I haven't quite hit that level yet in that moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, attention, noticing, mm-hmm. scanning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's good. I mean, and again, that seems like the first step, like being aware, <laughs> kind of opening your our eyes and paying attention. And but then again, we we may run into the issue of some people don't have much to pay attention to because maybe they don't go for a bike ride to feel that sensation, right? They are very kind of or either sedentary or completely in their heads, distracted from their bodies. So I think that's great together with like making space for our bodies, kind of taking space for our bodies and even noticing how how much uh, 
how much space I take with my body, my the space inside my body, if I take a deep breath, if I stretch. Also noticing the, um, I think you mentioned grounding, like noticing that I'm um, sitting on something that supports me, that um, or my feet, my legs support me, that my body supports me. Another um, one that I like to do where it can be helpful just to kind of start opening the door to the body, especially if it's hard to detect what is there, or be in contact with what is there. But it's just setting up like um, like compare and contrast experiments with, um, say, different postures, for example, like to ask somebody, okay, so what happens if you let your shoulders slump down and if you accentuate hunching over and if you kind of mm -hmm. drop down, say, into like a curled up position? What happens to your external experience, your external, your internal uh, experience? Mm -hmm. What happens there? And kind of studying that, and then comparing that with okay, so now that we know kind of what that feels like, what is it like then to pull your shoulders back and let them kind of just fall in a relaxed place, and to lengthen your spine and lengthen your neck, and to have your chest out just tightly. And to contrast, okay, what is the internal experience now? What is that like? And so being able to compare and contrast those things, it can also be um, a way in as well to start to notice, oh, actually, even my emotions can change sometimes based upon how my body is holding itself. And so that can also be something to just start to become aware of. I love that, Chelsea, and that also it's related to again how how posture is related, how much space we take, how do we take space, like are we hunching kind of down and taking a little space, like making us smaller, or can we open our shoulders and maybe even stand up straight? So that's again like it's, but I like the idea of those little experiments, and um, together with paying attention to the internal state. And I think that's very, very important. And then moving to FM2, like the relationship with the body, like how to cultivate that, again, how we find ways to turn towards our body, like in maybe even like going for a massage and enjoying that experience or taking a warm bath or putting some nice perfume or whatever, it's or eating good food, savoring good food. Yeah, to really savor those experiences to really notice to have a um, a sensory loaded mm -hmm. experience can also be helpful to start to attune those senses. Yeah, I mean, uh, touching yourself could be would would be a very simple form. In, in in you know, if you're just touching your body, kind of like I'm touching my arm now, but also masturbation would also be that kind of you know, hopefully quite sensor <laughs> sensorially enjoyable, but but kind of playing with uh, intensities, mm -hmm. speed and techniques, and right when you and you're starting to notice the differences and and the sen different sensations that everything elicits. Yeah. So what you're saying is like to be curious, to explore, like not to just uh, do it by again external prescription, the way we talk about our regulating our eating habits, but actually to allow ourselves to explore different varieties, different ways of doing a certain experience. Also, I'm thinking like about sensuality and um, um, connection with uh, the body. Also, enjoying nature and being in nature can be a very uh, <laughs> sensory loaded experience or a sensual experience. So, but being very, again, intentional to cultivate those experiences and then going back to what you said, self paying attention. How do I feel? How does my body feel now that I'm in a beautiful, you know, natural setting? Or um, if I'm touching myself, or if I'm savoring good food, like mm. to to draw attention to that and to develop that intimacy with my body, that this is my body, and my body the way I experience the way I experience it, not the way I see it in pictures that others took of me. And then I was thinking, like, if we go to the being myself, like FM three, 
Yes, anyways, I'm suggesting that may, we may want to follow that structure since there is, uh, I think there is something quite natural, organic about it. Like also, um, I think we even have a, in, in the EA training, there is um, an exercise, an activity like uh, when we invite people to close their eyes and to, to check um, with each part of their body, the way you kind of suggested to Chelsea, like not necessarily only with the breathing, but starting with the face and then the shoulders, the arms, the belly, the, the legs, the feet, and, and to ask themselves, is this me? Is this my body? Mm. Is, is it me? Do I, do I feel that it's my body? And do I appreciate it? Do I uh, feel joy that this is me? Like that, uh, that really looks at the connection, that intimate connection between oneself and one's body and that they are not different <laughs> entities. And then also how we express ourselves through our body. And that goes also to closing a bit as well, right? If someone wears the same clothing, like identical, regardless of the context and the situation, it may, may communicate some things through the body. We use our bodies, whether we know it or not, to communicate all the time. I'm not sure what the exact percentage is, but I know a lot of uh, people suggest that most of our communication is intuitively nonverbal. Um, you can kind of sense what somebody might be feeling um, or experiencing based upon how they're carrying themselves. It's, it's, it's been one of the... Um uh, drawbacks of of uh, using Zoom to do therapy during this pandemic, right? Where you can't typically you can't see the whole person. You see their face and maybe their shoulders, but you don't see what their hands are doing or how their feet are tapping or or whatever. That that I don't know. At least for me, and I'm sure for the two of you, kind of gives us so much more information about something that they're talking about. Totally. And then finally, like um, going off from expressing, like in FM4, like also realizing how much we can do and we can contribute to our lives, to others' lives through our bodies. Well, I guess without our bodies, we wouldn't contribute anything pretty much, but like specifically, right? Like if I can prepare a meal for, for someone, for example, that's because, you know, I have a body because my hands can can do that and my the rest of my body is supporting me in doing that, right? If, of course, if we meet as a client, it's also, we, we are there because, and that's why self-care is important too, right? And I don't know what other um, other things do you have um, in mind for FM4? I was thinking like art or mm -hmm. dance. Yes, movement. Like so much uh, human experience is communicated through dance and movement and art and be able to tell a story that way through movement so so really action by doing something using and not in the kind of objective you know, objectivistic way but in the having a purpose for my body to, uh, something to do to you know, whether that's an act of service for somebody whether that's a caress whether it's an expression in dance whether um whether anything but to to use it yeah I wonder whether, actually, it's something that, just a, a side thought, um, at least partly um, some of the increase in anxiety in the de developed world um, comes down to having a more sedentary life, mm -hmm. right? So we're not using our bodies mm -hmm. as much as we could, as certainly as previous generations have, and that as a result, you know, we're not feeling or we're, we're not feeling... We're not perceiving things, you know, accurately and so on and so forth. Oh, for sure. And also um, that, the not moving enough, but also the um, overemphasis on the visual. And um, I think there is even a book like by an Italian philosopher, Giovanni Vatimi, Vatimo or Vatimi, the, the, um, that talks about the perils of like being so excessively visual, like obsessed with images, basically, right? And quite <laughs> voyeuristic in many ways, right? That we are uh, we are not doing enough life. We are not moving. We are, but at the same time, we are watching a lot and uh, watching passively, 
kind of even on TV, right? But also our pictures, the selfies that we take, like there is an obsession with the, the image. And, and, and the virtual, right? It's, it's, it's not real. It's imagined. It's hypothesized. It's not actual. So in other words, this uh, also maybe highlights the importance of uh, intentionally reconnecting with the body because we are already like predisposed to, to this disconnect by how we live, by the times we live. Did you touch upon um, how we work with this in therapy? Yeah, there, like an experiment that I do once in a while, again, another one of those kind of compare and contrast just to start to study the experience would be to like just pull up an image of something or someone mm-hmm. in your mind that um, that brings you a sense of kind of warmth or comfort or a positive image, something that you like or enjoy, and then to notice kind of what happens in the body, any sensations that are experienced, um, and I should actually say sometimes it's better to to start with one that's a little bit more like uncomfortable or, or a time where, you know, say maybe you were embarrassed or something to bring up a, a moment like that and then to go, okay, so what do you notice in your body when you bring up, you know, this time the teacher called you out in class? You go, okay, well, I noticed my breathing just got a bit more shallow um, and I kind of feel a bit tense. My muscles feel a bit tense and um, I feel kind of blank inside. So to kind of start giving these descriptors of uh, physical experience and then to compare it back and forth. Okay, so how about now a time where, where you know, you got the answer right or you felt really proud of yourself or you accomplished something and now okay what does that feel like in the body and in two like because we're not really used to contacting or studying the body in that way it can also be really helpful to just have a bit of a menu too Mm -hmm. so to um, maybe even like print out a list of sensations Mm -hmm. as well like okay is this dull or sharp hot cold warm hollow full buzzy tingly so just so that there's even more um, vocabulary to use to be able to describe an experience as well i find that's really helpful yeah that's uh, that's a, a very important um, point you made that and the chelsea to to describe what what you're feeling not to search for the perfect word or for the you know imbo- in the, the 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 correct emotion right but just describe it like you know as i said i've you know when i think do my writing i feel clean what the hell does that mean <laughs> exactly and also not to try to explain as many clients go like but why why am i feeling this way like oh and then they get all stuck in the cognitive but yeah so i, I also find those list of words or if not list offering them to the client as we speak right um, very helpful. Yeah, it's true. We don't have vocabulary. I mean, we barely, minimally have for emotions, for feelings, sensations are even worse. So I think it's essential, like you said, to offer a menu and to sometimes even to lend our own experience to the client, right? And to check, oh, if I were you in that situation, what I notice about myself, what about you? So to some some help with um, um, yeah, finding the words. So something I, I I was going to mention, and I'm not sure if it's the right place, but worth mentioning that um, uh, f- for those who are more curious, maybe about more scientific, more neurological research on this, there's um, Antonio Damasio who uh, talks about he uh, developed the um, somatic markers hypothesis, and I'm I'm going to make it as simple simple as in 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 relatively simple language, um, uh, but essentially that there are these somatic physical visceral feelings that your brain has stored for particular experiences and so at least how i understand it you know when when people are triggered you know a, a, a word that is is i'd say just overused currently but but that everybody i think can identify with that 
this is your body and your brain recognizing a situation kind of like Chelsea was alluding to earlier, you know, kind of in growing up in a household where you have a, 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 a an incredibly angry kind of parent, right? And you shrink or you try. And so I, I'd suggest that a lot of listeners can probably identify in a situation in which they feel felt triggered and to to use that also as a, a place to 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 note the reaction kind of like you were saying just now Chelsea in that you know the teacher says something and um, but to know that there's you know it's it's happening it's feeling it in your body and your brain is working in concert with it and that brings up to me another essential point that uh, is trusting what we what we know it is that's another thing Right, like to trust those things and to know that uh, I mean, I think also Damasio said that the um, the feeling is well, the sensation and connected is the feeling is uh, precedes the thought. Right, it's it's like that's why it's a somatic marker, right? So like to trust that because many many people can notice and they said, oh, but no, it cannot be. Or why is it this way? It shouldn't be this way. So that's. Yeah, ab- absolutely. That yeah, I think he, he makes the point. You can't deny it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you can try, but mm-hmm. it, it is um, what you do with it and how you interpret it. That's a whole different story. But but the feeling that you have is there, and it's telling you something for sure. I think the classic one that comes up is um, like with panic attacks. By the time you're having a panic attack, um, there's likely been a lot of missed cues um, in the body along the way Mm -hmm. and you start to notice it at you know a level nine or ten when you know you can no longer breathe and you're really struggling but um, it can be helpful to just start to to notice okay if I'm starting to feel a little bit anxious what does like a two or a three or a four or five feel like so that those cues can be attended to I think a lot of people try to get rid of anxiety and I mean understandably so because it's very often physiologically uncomfortable um, and very distressing Um, but it also has a message for us anxiety typically communicates something or some things are too much Um, and those messages may have been occurring long before the client is is in the room and so I think you know helping somebody kind of befriend those very natural body responses can be helpful to go okay like what is my body telling me what is my body communicating to me what have I missed it's a bit like an alarm system in a lot of ways Um, and so being able to kind of get in touch with that is so, so important to to not have things escalate to the point of a panic attack in the future. I mean, unless you meet a bear or something on a trail, then you want, you want that response to be there because it keeps you safe. Um, but to be able to, yeah, to start to recognize these things, um, maybe in their more smaller forms before your body's like physiologically screaming at you essentially just like in communication we tend to raise our voices when we're not feeling heard mm-hmm. we get louder and louder and louder and i think our anxiety system is not so different from that too mm-hmm. if we ignore these cues and messages from the body um, it tends to get louder and get worse so, so perhaps, perhaps to, uh, as we kind of end this episode, um, I thought it might be an, uh, a fun and an interesting thing to, to each of us, maybe tell the listeners um, what we feel in our body right now at the end of this episode, as just before we end, um, just to, yeah, partly a, a bit of a demonstration, but partly, you know, uh, uh, the reality of, of encountering our bodies on a continuous basis it's not just a one-off thank you so much for the opportunity i feel <laughs> i feel as you can hear i feel warm and um, giggly but i think that uh, even before the episode <laughs> for unclear reasons but yeah that um, i feel actually more connected with my body i felt more grounded throughout uh, the talk yeah i feel 
worm activated, but in a pleasant way, you know. I have, um, I have what I usually have when I'm when I'm sitting is is um, a tightness in my kind of hips and hip flexors, which is um, the curse of partly my physiology, but also partly um, uh, sitting as for a profession almost. Um, and so I, I feel this kind of distinct desire to move. Um, although the rest of me kind of feels quite light, you know, the kind of feeling I would always get when I talk and enjoy, you know, having conversations with people. Um, uh, yeah, I always feel myself quite happy when I'm, when I've had a long conversation to talking with and listening to people. Yeah. And for me, um, I also think I identify with the, the tension, um, like throughout the podcast, I've kind of been stretching here and there. My back gets tight. Um, but I'm also just noticing right now, it's like my body doesn't quite know whether it's hot or cold. Like it's kind of going back and forth. So I'm just paying attention to that as well. Not sure what it means, but it's happening. And so it's good to notice that. Neat. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, um, the, 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 the two of you. And um, so then we, oh, oh jeepers, I'm doing really well here. Um, maybe I'm feeling too light out of my body. Um, uh, all that l- is left um, for us to do is the existential question. So for our existential question today, um, in similar fashion to what we just did now, um, just invite you to also check in right now to maybe start at the top of your body or start at the bottom and to just work your way up and down and just notice what it is that your body is feeling right now, what sensations you're experiencing and just take the time to to use this space to become a little bit more Thank you for listening and following along with us today. And we look forward to um, being together again next time. Follow us on Instagram at Existentialist Podcast. And let us know your answer to today's existential question. To learn more about us, listen to and learn about other episodes, visit our website at existentialistpodcast.com.